Welcome to the Bite Size Fitness Show, where we talk all things fitness, nutrition, and habits, and break them down into smaller, more digestible, bite-sized pieces of content for you to enjoy. My name is Sean Bikerk, and I am your host, and in today's episode, I'm going to give you seven wild facts when it comes to fitness and health, specifically from the book Outlive by Peter Attia. One of my favorite books, uh, Peter Attia, he's a surgeon, he's an oncologist, he has his own practice, I believe. And the book is all about longevity, not just about how to live longer, but how to thrive as you age. And he essentially criticizes our current healthcare system, calling it medicine 2.0. And his criticism is we're very reactive. We diagnose, we treat, but we're going through the same vicious cycle over and over again. What he suggests is a different approach, which he calls medicine 3.0, which has a much more proactive approach. Uh, talking about awareness and prevention so that we don't have to keep going through that vicious cycle over and over again. So he identifies four horsemen, which he calls them, as the four biggest threats to uh, us dying early or just having a much worse quality of life as we age. And although some of them have a genetic component to it, each and every one of them do have behavioral modifications that you can make that will drastically lower your risk for getting them and suffering with it. And those four horsemen are heart disease, cancer, type 2 diabetes, and neurodegenerative disease like Alzheimer's dementia. So I've compiled seven stats and facts that I found really interesting through the book. It's kind of all over the place. There's not necessarily a particular theme here, but just things that jumped out at me and hopefully you'll uh, enjoy them as well. So the first one is not particularly surprising. It's probably a pretty obvious one, but sometimes just to see the comparison and the numbers, it can really jump out at you. So in the late 1970s, the average adult American male weighed 173 pounds. Now it's nearly 200 pounds. So almost 30 pound increase in uh, 50 plus years, which obviously is significant. So uh, take that for what it's worth. Number two, American women are 10 times more likely to die from atherosclerotic disease than from breast cancer. That just means heart disease. And the reason this jumps out to him and to me is because we have so much awareness when it comes to breast cancer, rightfully so, when it comes to prevention, screening, and uh, just overall awareness, and probably not nearly as much towards heart disease, which is killing women at a rate of 10 times more than breast cancer and probably has a lot more behaviors that are uh, that you can do earlier on to lower your risk. Whereas breast cancer, a lot more genetic than heart disease and heart disease, there are things that you can do to uh, lower your risk of getting it. Something that happens over time that takes years and decades to develop. So uh, while it's great that we put so much awareness into breast cancer, it's also important to understand that women are dying of heart disease at a rate of 10 times than breast cancer. So. Uh, put a little bit more awareness in that as well. Uh, number three, this is a longer one. Northwestern University study going back from 1900 found that if you subtract out deaths from the top eight infectious diseases, which were largely brought under the control by antibiotics in the 30s, overall mortality rates declined relatively little over the course of the 20th century. So we have this narrative out there that as we progress as the years go by we live older and older and older right the generations we just live longer and while that's technically true i'm going to post a graph here it's a little bit grainy uh, if you're watching this on youtube just to kind of show what it looks like so once we once we discovered antibiotics a lot of the 
the mortality rates kind of evened out or got really, really, really close. So this narrative that we're living longer, while it's technically true, it's not as big of a jump as we might seem. And while we might be living longer, our quality of life probably isn't better. It's probably actually worse, right? We're getting sick earlier and we're living with sickness for longer. So just one of those narratives that, uh, that you can squash. Number four, this is another interesting one. A UK study found a relationship between grip strength and dementia. People in the lowest quartile of grip strength, so the weakest people, had a 72% higher incidence of dementia compared to the top quartile. This is interesting for two reasons. Number one, grip strength is just an indicator of overall uh, strength. And overall strength and grip strength is actually related to your mortality as well. So there's other studies that show that the stronger you are, the longer you live. Number two, there is a narrative that dementia is almost exclusively genetic. And while there are some genetic components, there are also things that we can do to lower our risk. One of those being exercise, specifically strength training. So uh, grip strength and dementia intertwined. Number five, depending on the study, this one's a little bit of a depressing one here, depending on the study, somewhere between 15 to 36% of people over the age of 65 who break their hip will die within one year. So if you're over the age of 65 and you break your hip, you have up to a 36% chance of dying within 12 months. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the, the, the broken hip itself that will lead to the death, but it's if you are not mobile, if you don't have any muscle and you can't recover from it, that your quality of life just deteriorates really, really quickly. So two things to take from this. Number one, it's important to exercise when you're, long, when you're younger because as you age, you might need that muscle to recover. And number two, exercising in terms of building stability to lower your chance of actually falling and breaking your hip in the first place. Okay, so number one, you don't want to fall and break your hip, but if you do, at least have the muscle, the strength, and the fitness to be able to uh, rebound from that because it's much more difficult to get as you age than it would be as you're younger. Number six, eating red meat increases your risk of developing colorectal cancer by 17%. By comparison, smoking cigarettes increases your risk of developing lung cancer by 1,000 to 2,500%. And this is how media kind of skews things. Because when you hear the 17% chance increase of developing colon cancer from eating red meat, that sounds terrifying. And ideally, you want that to be zero. But first, we haven't really developed if that's causation or correlation. And second, even if it is, it's relatively weak, 17%, especially when you look at something that clearly has a definitive uh, comparison, cigarette smoking up to 2,000, 2,500% increase when it comes to lung cancer. So just one of those sensationalist headlines to watch out for when it comes to correlation causation, saying something is related to this, it's important to understand that context and nuance does play a role. So don't freak out just because you see certain headlines. Instead, really try to dive deeper and understand what that actually means if it's a strong or weak correlation and compare it to something that you know to be true and kind of go from there. And then the last one, coming to when it comes to sleep. So University of Chicago study. So they sleep deprived people for four and a half hours per night and found that after four days, they had elevated insulin levels similar to an obese middle-aged diabetic. Worse yet, they had a 50% reduction in their capacity for glucose disposal. Now, if that doesn't make any sense for you, 
insulin sensitivity is a very important thing. So as you take in food, especially foods that are higher in carbohydrates, your insulin is going to get secreted from your pancreas and basically distributes that blood sugar to the cells of your body. If you are insulin sensitive, which is a good thing, it'll go to the brain, the liver, the muscles, maybe a little bit to the fat, and it's been disposed of. If you are insulin resistant, so if the sensitivity isn't there, best case scenario, probably it's going to go and get stored as fat. So it's going to get stored in those fat cells. Worst case scenario, it doesn't go anywhere. So it just stays in the bloodstream. And then over time, that's how you develop type two diabetes. And that's how further complications can happen from there. So this just illustrating the point that sleep, it's pretty important. So hopefully you guys enjoyed these stats as much as I did. I'll see you in the next video.